Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. And now, battle ready with Father Dan Rehill. Good day. Welcome to Battle Ready. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My God, I believe, I adore, I hope, and I love thee, and I ask pardon for those who do not believe, do not adore, do not hope, and do not love thee. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I had a wonderful surprise yesterday. One of my uh, college friends, who we've been friends most of my life now, uh, was uh, had a convention or something in Nashville, and so he came down for dinner to visit with me. And it really is um, such a gift to have good, faithful friends, even if you don't see them often. To have good, faithful friends is so critical in the days we live, because who do you share your faith with? Most people are not open to having any kind of faith-sharing experience, I, I, I gather, from uh, the general population and their views. So to have good, faithful friends is so important. So um, pray that the Lord would bring you good, faithful friends uh, into your life. Okay. Um, this Saturday will be the anniversary of St. Bridget of Sweden. And uh, she was a mystic in the 14th century, uh, both married and then a widow, and then became a religious sister. Uh, we're going to talk more about her on Friday. But I just wanted to know, let you know that we are producing um, uh, uh, an audio file to be played on this uh, radio station, Radio Maria, that consists of the prayers, the seven prayers that honor the seven times that Christ spilled his blood for the world. Those being the circumcision, the agony in the garden, the scourging at the pillar, the crowning with thorns, the carrying of the cross, the crucifixion, and then the piercing of Christ's side. Why do we want to bring these to you? Because these are the promises he made to St. Bridget for those who would honor these sufferings by praying these prayers every day for 12 years. Yes, you heard it, 12 years. But if you begin this novena today and you die tomorrow— Christ said he would honor the prayers that you had the intention of doing the whole 12 years. And I'll tell you something. If you're going to meditate on God spilling his blood for you, you're going to be transformed into a saint. These are the promises he made. The souls who pray them will suffer no purgatory. That means you go straight to heaven. The souls who pray them will be accepted among the martyrs as though they had spilled their blood for the faith by honoring Christ's blood. Uh, the soul who prays these prayers can choose three others to whom Jesus will then keep in a state of grace sufficient to become holy. And no one in the four successive generations of the souls who pray them will be lost. Did you hear that? You worried about your children? You worried about your grandchildren? You worried about your great-grandchildren? You can guarantee that they will not be lost by praying these prayers. It is not magic. It is a promise made in honor of the precious blood that Jesus would transform souls, would move them from vice to virtue, from untruth to truth, and therefore bring them fully into his kingdom. Finally, the soul who prays them will be made conscious of his death one month in advance. I'm not sure that's a good thing, but 
it must be if God's granting it. Uh, so this is very exciting, and the, more about this on Friday, and we'll have these uh, prayers up and running on the radio station uh, by the feast on Saturday. Okay. Today I was praying in my office this morning, and this uh, was the, one of the readings from uh, Paul speaking to the Corinthians. And it really caught my attention. And you've heard some of this before, I'm sure. Uh, the Lord is the Spirit, and the, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. All of us gazing on the Lord's glory with unveiled faces are being transformed from glory to glory into his very image by the Lord, who is the Spirit. Because we possess this ministry through God's mercy, we do not give in to discouragement. Rather, we repudiate shameful, underhanded practices. We do not resort to trickery or falsify the word of God. We proclaim the truth openly and commend ourselves to every man's conscience before God. If our gospel can be called veiled in any sense, it is such only for those who are, who are heed, headed toward destruction. Their unbelieving minds have been blinded by the God of this present age so that they do not see the splendor of the gospel showing forth the glory of Christ, the image of God. There's a lot in there. You could probably dissect that over the course of a week. But what struck me most um, with the Spirit of the Lord is there's freedom. So when you have the Holy Spirit, you will see freedom in your life. You'll be set free from all sorts of things. Uh, secondly, he says, if the gospel can be called veiled in any sense, it is such only for those who are headed towards destruction. Destruction, meaning the devil's plans for your life. Their unbelieving minds have been blinded by the God of this present age, that's Satan, so that they do not see the splendor of the gospel. Or it's truth, I would add. This is the prevailing spirit of our day. It is the spirit of the Antichrist. It is the spirit of unbelief. It is the spirit of lies. Just take, for example, what, this is just one example. Reproductive health care. Reproductive health care. They use this term. The, the people who are pro-abortion use this term for their rights to have abortions. Let's look at what the words actually mean. Uh, reproduction. This is the natural, this is by the dictionary uh, definition. Reproduction is the natural process among organisms by which new individuals are generated and the species perpetuated. Did you hear that? So we, well, we all know this, but somehow we embrace lies. Reproduction is the process among organisms, you could say people too, people by which new people are generated and the species perpetuated. So the reproduction is about making new people. Healthcare. What is healthcare according to the dictionary? Oh, that would be the field concerned with the maintenance or restoration of the health of the body or mind. Let's go a step further. What is health? Health is the general condition of the body or mind with re reference to soundness and vigor. Okay? So in all those definitions, how can you possibly come up with reproductive health care to mean killing a life? It's the exact opposite. Do you see 
how this works. I hope everyone's catching on to this. This is a, a joke. Uh, the emperor in his new clothes is roaming around and everybody's eating it up. So let's talk about Jesus. What did he mean when he said that he was the truth? First of all, what is truth? Truth is that which is in accord with reality. Truth is that which is in accord with reality. So there is only one truth in any set of circumstances. That would be what is reality. So if I'm looking up at the sky and I see the sun shining and I say, uh, the sun has gone dark, that is not true because it's not in accord with reality. If I say the sky is green and it's actually blue, not true because it's not in accord with reality. So when we look to Jesus, Jesus is truth incarnate. Do you see why the devil hates truth? The devil hates Jesus and everything he stands for. And we are in his image and likeness. So he hates you. I hope you know this. He hates you. And he doesn't, he doesn't just want you dead. He wants you in hell with him so he can torment you. That's his way of getting back at God, by tormenting the ones God loves. Okay, so when truth comes down to earth and takes on a body in the person of Jesus Christ, everything Jesus said and did is pure truth because it's divine truth. And it really should affect our lives. So you, you might remember when in uh, John 14th chapter, Jesus said, I am the way, the way, not a way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, that's, that's one of the most profound statements in the whole Bible. Uh, that's one you should memorize. It's John 14, 6. And so when we think about it, our attitude towards truth determines the outcome of our lives. If we don't have the truth, if we resist the truth, then we're resisting salvation. This should be very scary to many people because so many people are living out of the spirit of the world, which is a lie. They don't have the truth. But if we do love the truth, and you should, then we embrace salvation and we receive the reward, which is the crown of life. And this is a difficult life. I mean, I, I think everybody has come to, to understand that very clearly, particularly over the last few years. Uh, but it's always that way since the fall of man. You know, even Jesus himself, God, a divine person. First the cross, then the crown. You know? Uh, there's that saying, no pain, no gain. It's the same in the spiritual realm. There's... Jesus said, uh, you have to pick up your cross daily and follow me. So this is part and parcel of what it means to be Christian. Does it mean you're going to have more crosses because you're picking them up? No. You know, people, the whole world has crosses, whether you believe in Jesus or not. Uh, and they come in all different shapes and sizes. But the crosses God gives to you are meant not only for your salvation, but for the salvation also of uh, other people could be your family, could be friends, could be unknown people to you. I'm thinking right now of the story of um, Bishop William Emanuel Kettler of Mainz, Germany. You know, he was going to be a big famous lawyer when he had an apparition. He was literally contemplating his life of rich and, and fa uh, fame and wealth. And he had an apparition 
of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And before the Sacred Heart of Jesus was this little nun kneeling. And she had her hands up and she was worshiping the Sacred Heart. And Jesus said to the then just William Kettler, uh, she prays for you unceasingly. She prays for you unceasingly. Now, William never knew this woman. He doesn't know who she is. Uh, anyway, at that moment, he has a complete conversion of heart. And he gives his life over to Jesus, and he goes into the seminary and becomes a priest. And he was a good priest. And then he was made a bishop, and he was a wonderful bishop. And he attributed all of the uh, success to all the ministries in his diocese to the prayers of that one little nun. And he was telling this to another bishop one day when he was visiting a fellow bishop in a neighboring diocese. And the bishop, the other bishop said to him, do you know who she is? He says, no, I don't. But that's the, the, the woman who prays for me unceasingly. And I believe all of the merits of this diocese are, I can attribute to her prayers. Well, it was just a very short time after that, he was celebrating mass at a convent nearby uh, and up comes for communion the nun that he saw in his apparition. And so after Mass, he, he said to the Mother Spirit, can I, can I meet with the sisters? Said, sure. She gathers the sisters, and they all come in, and he doesn't see her. And he goes, is this everybody? Are you sure? And she says, well, no, one of the sisters is, is out in the barn. She has the most difficult task in the convent, which is to clean up after all the animals. And he says, oh, well, I would like to see her. And he met her and he just get, he had very few questions he just said do you know who i am and she said no i don't i don't think i've ever met you uh, he said do you know my name and she says no i do not and then he said something very strange he said what is your birthday and she revealed her birthday and the very day she was born was the day he received the apparition that changed his life and so god had applied all the graces of this nun's prayers for her whole life to that to that beginning at that very moment of his conversion and then spreading over his whole life. And then he asked, do you have any particular devotions? She said, to the sacred heart is my one true devotion. And I offer up everything to the sacred heart for one soul whom I do not know. Well, the power of prayer, particularly intercessory prayer, particularly to the sacred heart, this is the power i'm talking about that we have so when you when you take your crosses and use them in any way you can give them to jesus you can give them to mary uh, you can give them to joseph and say here's this cross i am uniting it to your son jesus but uh i'm sure he wouldn't mind if you dispense the graces so that's uh that's the short end of the story there now let's go deeper into what is truth so we know that god's word is true and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So the truth is literally the life of Jesus. That This is the, the, the manifestation of truth. And it's supposed to be manifested in us. However, when we sometimes compare his life to our own life, we can see how enormously different the two are. And that should be a moment of a light bulb going off. Because the truth is that light which shines into our, our lives, into our hearts, our minds, and it should reveal what we are really like by nature. It reveals the way that we must walk 
in order to be transformed into the image of Christ. To do this, you have to have some degree of introspection, right? You you have to have um, moments in your, your, well, I would say every day, where you're pausing and reflecting on, am I living the life of Jesus the best that I can be in this moment? Is this something Jesus would do? Is this something he'd want me to do? But if you're never considering how your path is uh, leading you and what direction you're heading, then it would be very easy to get lost. That would be true in the natural order as well. If you're walking through the woods, my least favorite place in the world, and uh, you don't have uh, a map or a guide or a path, it's probable that you're not going to get to the destination you desire to get to be at, right? So you have to have a plan and a path. So the first step on the way of truth is taken when Jesus shines his light into our lives and we acknowledge that we're sinners, number one, we acknowledge that we need forgiveness, number two, and we need his, the atonement of Jesus and his justification on our lives. This causes us to repentance. Repentance is required for every single person because we're all sinners. If you have an issue with that, then you have to take a step further backwards and say, Lord, show me first how much you love me. And then I'll be able to look at my sinfulness. That's very important. You have to know you are loved in order to go into the sinfulness of your life. If you think God is an ogre that's just waiting to stomp you out, uh, you're never going to have a relationship with that kind of person. And he's not that person. He, he made you out of love for you, uh, and he desires you be with him forever in heaven. That's the truth. Okay, the next step is that uh, he shows us that even though we're forgiven, we still have sin, and we have to acknowledge that we ourselves are powerless to overcome when we're tempted to give in to that sin because we are fallen human beings. Uh Somebody, when I was very new to my conversion, a priest said this to me, Father Tom DiLorenzo. He said, we can't do anything without Jesus. And I thought, that's crazy. You know, I can go over and pick up the newspaper. I can, I have, I can do plenty without Jesus. But what he was saying is that truly, if God sustains us every moment of our lives, if he allows our lungs to keep taking in air, our heart to keep beating, everything really we rely on God for, because if he wasn't sustaining us, we wouldn't be able to pick up the newspaper, right? But it goes deeper than that. It goes into all goodness flowing from God. All goodness and truth comes from God. And so we need to be deeply in relationship with him, that that goodness and truth can flow through us. Okay, so we realize we are forgiven, but we still have sins, and we're not going to overcome temptations unless we have Jesus and the Spirit working through us, right? Priests, we hear this in the confession all the time. People say, Father, it's the same sins every month. I never overcome these sins. I say, well, okay, sometimes I'll say for your, your penance, spend more time in adoration with Jesus and ask him to reveal his love for you. When you really love somebody, you're really willing to do anything for them. And when you realize that sin is is still, that sin was crucifying Jesus on the cross. When you realize your sins are causing 
him paying on the cross. You'll let that sin go. But you have to realize the connection between your sin and him on the cross. And in order to realize that, we have to have the Holy Spirit filling us up because the Spirit enlightens us, leads us. It, he gives us strength and power that we lack in ourselves so that we can keep God's commandments, that we can give up our own will and do his will instead. Some people don't like the sound of that. I don't want to lose my will. You're not losing it. Your will is suddenly becoming aligned with the will of God. You're letting go of your selfish will and embracing the will of God the Father. But it's not that it's painful. It's that you want to do it. The saints loved being who they were. They, it was not a burden to live. The, Mary loved being Mary. And she loved the fact that uh, God had made her, created her out of love for her, and was preparing a home in heaven for her. Everything she did, it, she did with perfect love. It wasn't a burden. So in other words, we can get victory over the flesh through this love, which uh, leads us to virtue and sainthood in the end. Now listen to what we hear from the first chapter of John, uh, the letter of John, 1 John 5. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. You hear that? This is the true God and eternal life. Jesus is the true God and eternal life. Here's another uh, scripture about truth from 3 John 3. For I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. So when you're living out uh, a life of truth in the Holy Spirit, you are giving great joy to God in heaven. And he's saying there's no greater blessing than to walk in the truth. Walk in the truth. This means to acknowledge the truth, to judge that which it shows us, uh, to hate that which is found to be sin, and then to put sin to death by the power of the Spirit. That's, uh, that's when we're, we know that we're winning the battle. So I only have a couple of minutes left. I just wanted to, some of the craziness that's happening in our world um, goes completely against truth and life. Okay. So California, what, I, what is happening on the West Coast is, is beyond, under, I can't understand it. Um, you know, Governor Newsom signed a bill that helps children as young as 12 hide abortions from their parents. Can you imagine this? Uh, it's deliberate. This is an attack. He's trying to undermine the entire family unit. But he's not alone. He's not alone. Washington State, just above California there, wants to become an abortion sanctuary, much like California. So that governor, uh, his name is Jay Inslee, uh, this uh, past week or so, he took action to make sure uh, uh, unborn babies still may be killed in abortions in his state, uh, even after uh, 
the overturning of Roe v. Wade. So, of course, the states have the right to decide now, but it should be the people of the state, not not the governor. Uh, so he wants to make it a sanctuary for abortions. Oh, my goodness. You know what that sounds like to me? That sounds like Auschwitz. We're going to make Washington State the Auschwitz of America, where you can kill all your babies. Come and bring them to Washington State so we can kill your babies. Yeah, it's, an, it's the Auschwitz of America, Washington State. Um, and, and even taking that word sanctuary, that's a very holy word that we use in describing places set aside for God. Sanctuary is a sacred, I'm back in the dictionary, a dictionary is describing sanctuary as a sacred or holy place, uh, an especially holy place in a temple or church, the part of the church around the altar, the most sacred part of a holy place. So what we're hearing by Governor Inslee, who I would say you must pray for immediately, starting today, put him on your rosary. He wants to make his state a sanctuary, a holy place of worship for abortion. So you're putting this together like I am? This is their sacrament, the people who are being led by the devil. Abortion is the sacrament of the devil and those who work with him. And this governor is trying to make, he's, they twist the words. It's so sad. He's using a holy word to describe something that is a complete horror, horror for his people. That's what I mean when this attack on truth. Uh, I hope it's opened your eyes, and I hope that you will pray for these, pray for Mr. Newsom and Mr. Inslee, along with all those politicians and the whole population who believes that it's a right to kill a baby. It's been wonderful to be with you today. Uh, may Almighty God bless you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is Father Dan signing out.